0: morning to all of our listeners out there and all of our viewers out there. I am Burt Garland. I'm a shareholder with Ogletree Deacons in St. Louis, and I am flying solo today. Phil is not with us. He's taken a little bit of time off from his broadcasting and other duties this week. I'm actually doing about the same uh, as I'm not in the office this week either, but graciously decided to host the program today. So we've got a lot to talk about. Before we do that, I want to toss it over to our producer, Nick. Nick, how are things with you today?
1: I'm doing good. You know, I'm where I'm most comfortable in in this office. I don't like to to leave the the quadrant and go out and, you know, spend quality time. This is quality time, right? Quality time is work time.
0: You never leave. You're always there. so we've had a lot go on the last week of course our uh, st louis blues managed to lose the playoff series against colorado crushing after an unbelievable yes after an unbelievable comeback win against colorado in colorado they ended up losing one at home uh really in the last five minutes and then uh, in the last four seconds of the game i think it was about five minutes when it got tied and four seconds when uh, when when Colorado went ahead. But uh, I do have to say, I think that the more uh, talented, the better team won. Uh, so let's hope the Blues uh, get their act together and uh, make another great run next year. So that means it's Cardinals season. How are the Cardinals doing these days, Nick?
1: You know, the Cardinals are doing a lot better. They had a little down, uh, they had a little rut there a few weeks back, last couple series, they've been doing well. And actually, So transitioning to the Cardinals was easy for me. I happened to be lucky enough Friday night to uh, be watching the Cardinals in a suite. So, in on the TV in the suite was the Blues game, and we're you know celebrating you know the first ones to be hollering when there was a Blues goal scored. And then five seconds came and uh, Colorado scored, and I just turned and went and sat out and watched the Cards game. So yeah, it it, that helped (laughs) me a lot.
0: Well, at least you had another diversion there. All right. Well, we'll get done talking about uh, sports. If Phil was here, he'd say people didn't attend this morning uh, to hear about us banter on about the Cardinals and the Blues. So let's get uh, right into things hey, here.
1: They didn't tune in to hear him either. He's gone.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> at least for this week. So, Nick, I appreciate you uh, taking the reins here taking the second spot uh for for phil today the second seat for phil today so we're going to talk about a lot of things today we are going to talk about some unionization topics again in particular i'll talk a little bit about starbucks litigation and then i'm going to talk a little bit about why employees unionize Uh, we have a poll question related to unionization that we're going to get to in just a minute here i'm going to also talk today about uh, tesla uh basically elon musk the ceo of, of tesla spacex telling the employees that they better get back into the office there's some funny comments uh and some butter funny com- uh, uh uh twitter uh tweets that he has put out there uh in the last couple of days about uh the end of remote work for for tesla and spacex We'll also talk a little bit more about tesla uh, and their aggressive tactics in uh, in litigation uh, which i think is important for our listeners for the employers to hear that you can and should when appropriate push back at agencies kind of governmental agencies running amok uh, over your business uh, i also i'm going to just mention real briefly Something about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Admittedly, I did not follow the trial closely, but I do want to discuss uh, the verdict and kind of how that's being portrayed in some media circles. And then finally, if we have time, I want to talk about uh, the Department of Labor's renewed focus on OSHA. We've talked about that already on the program uh, in the last few weeks, how the Labor uh, Secretary, Marty Walsh, has been seeking additional funding for OSHA and trying to uh, really ramp up enforcement efforts. So if we have time, we'll get there. But first, like I said, we want to chat uh, about some of the labor topics. And so, Nick, we've got a poll question teed up for today on the topic of labor law. So, maybe if you could roll that poll out for our viewers.
1: Yeah. So, what we're asking is, you know, which best describes your organization uh, related to unionization? So, there's going to be options there for my company has been unionized for more than five years. Uh, we have one for if you've been unionized within the past five years. Uh, also those who are not currently unionized but are at risk and another option is we are not currently at risk of becoming unionized and uh, there's always, we'll give you an out too if you're not sure. So we have that option there. Uh, you just go on the right side where you typically click the question mark icon for questions. There's a little checkbox, and that's where you take the survey.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. So yeah, if the the viewers could go ahead and respond to that poll, we'll share those poll results in a little bit here. So I know we've talked about unionization quite a bit on the program lately, and that is because uh, particularly in the restaurant and retail sector, we are seeing an unprecedented level of union organizing. I can definitely say that this has been coming for a while. Uh, We saw probably within the last 10 or so years, a lot of what are called these workers movements that were funded by the unions. Uh, In particular, the main one that most people have heard of is the Fight for 15. And that was called a workers movement. But in reality, it was an effort that was bankrolled by the unions to increase the minimum wage across the restaurant and retail sector really even more in the in the restaurant than in the retail sector and the fight for 15 was primarily funded by the united food and commercial workers union and the service employees international union among other unions and they put a lot of money and a lot of effort the last 10 or so years into these workers movements to gin up public support for increasing minimum wages uh, in the restaurant and retail sector. Well, those workers movements started to die out during the Trump administration. And so what we are now seeing is rather than the workers movements uh, coming back, we're seeing the unions really taking the forefront and becoming much more visible in these efforts to increase wages among restaurant and retail workers. And in particular, we are starting to really see the unions actually trying to organize businesses in the restaurant and retail sector. Now, this historically has not been an area uh, that the unions have focused on. And there's several reasons for that. Number one, it's been difficult to organize restaurants in retail because the workforce is often very transient. People go to work for these types of industries sometimes on a short time basis uh, or short term basis. They rotate around to different uh, uh, entities in the restaurant and retail sector. And so they're not there necessarily long enough to uh, go through the steps of collecting signatures on authorization cards, going down to the National Labor Relations Board, filing a petition staying there through the term of the uh, campaign to organize and the employer's union avoidance campaign, uh, and then staying for the vote, and then any potential litigation that might occur after the vote. So unions historically have not been willing to invest in trying to organize these industries because they were not being very successful. Things have really changed, and a lot of this relates to the Starbucks litigation. Uh, or Starbucks uh, efforts to organize Starbucks. And um, right now, the NLRB has about 170 open cases accusing Starbucks of anti-union threats, retaliation, surveillance, and other labor law violations since Workers United, which is an affiliate of the Service Employees International Union, began filing election petitions uh, late last August. In those 170 open cases, about 50 of those cases so far, the NLRB has found merit to the cases and has actually filed eight complaints at Starbucks, uh, accusing Starbucks of illegally threatening employees uh, in in what's really a very large consolidated complaint involving Buffalo area stores. Uh, the, The NLRB has gone to federal court to get injunctions against Starbucks in two of those cases based on retaliatory filings. What's really interesting here is that while I said that uh, unions have been reluctant to go after the restaurant and retail sector in past years, this has really changed. It's the United States' uh, service industry, restaurant and retail has really grown uh, over the last five, 10, 15, 20, 25 or so years, and we're not just a manufacturing-based economy, uh, some of the unions like the SEIU especially have recognized that a bulk of the workforce in this country is in that restaurant and uh, retail sector. And so if they wanna survive, they being the unions, they need to find new lifeblood. They need to find a new source of dues. And so what they're doing is they are aggressively organizing restaurant and retail. Now, what's really interesting is, is that of all of these petitions that have been uh, filed against the NLRB, uh, they have tried, I'm sorry, uh, against Starbucks, uh, the the union has, has attempted to organize uh, several hundred Starbucks. They have filed nearly 300 election petitions with the NLRB just in the last Uh, approximately one year, and what's amazing is, is that the union has won about 87% of those uh, petitions. Uh, There's actually been of the 300 petitions, 113 of those have gone uh, to an election as of the end of May, and the union has won 87% of those cases. There's nearly 120 additional elections that have been ordered or are in progress. And there's 56 ballot counts this week and next week. Now, interestingly, the union has filed the fewest petitions in the Midwest where all of our listeners or the bulk of our listeners are from. And they're winning about uh, half of those elections. But very interestingly, interestingly, that's where they have filed the fewest petitions, the largest number of petitions. Nick, I'm going to give you a, a, a guess here. Where do you think they're filing most frequently? What part of the country?
1: My guess is on the coasts.
0: On the coast, that's exactly right. And with the West Coast leading the way, uh, and then the Atlantic Coast following a close second. So that's where the unions are filing most of the uh, petitions. And where the elections are held, the unions are actually winning the bulk of those elections. So, is it, is it uh, at
1: all related to why you're out on the west coast?
0: it is not i am not out here because of uh the union's uh elections as nick said you may notice uh, i am not broadcasting from uh, my office today i am actually on a vacation this week and i will use vacation <laughs> with some air quotes mm-hmm. around it so happy to be hosting happy to join you and thank you nick for calling attention to my my vacation this week <laughs>
1: well, it's still so, dark out there <laughs> it is it is
0: well the sun's starting to come up okay. so uh so anyway, uh, so that's exactly right. The, the bulk of the elections are being held on the coast. Uh, and like I said, the unions are winning these kind of at a staggering rate. So one of the things I think we should do at this point, Nick, maybe we can put those uh, poll results up there for our viewers. And you can maybe go, go through in detail those poll results.
1: Let's go ahead and remind what the options were. We'll stick that up there, and then I'm going to just refresh so that we have the most recent look at this here. So, which best describes your organization? And we have a good number of responses here. Let's go to that now. Looks like a bulk of it is my company is not currently at risk of becoming unionized. That would mean that um, they are not unionized and we do have coming in a second place is my company has been unionized for more than five years so that's there's your contrast right there and we run into my company is currently at risk becoming unionized is two, yeah I mean is a uh, is, is in third place and we do have uh, and I am not sure and I think the comment on that was you know I, I don't hear any talking <laughs> but who knows yeah. right <laughs>
0: Well, it looks interesting, Nick, because it seems to me that about uh, either 15 to 20% of our uh, listeners, meaning that there's, uh, what, 85% of our listeners believe that they are not at risk for unionization. And I would encourage people to really evaluate that uh, to determine if they are actually at risk uh, or not, because the unions are making an aggressive push. And I do think that as the governmental agencies continue to turn over this year and move from Trump agencies to fully Biden agencies, that uh, there is going to be a more aggressive push for unionization, just like we're seeing at Starbucks. One thing I think that would be interesting, Nick, I sent you a graphic today, and if you can maybe put that graphic up, I would like to share that uh, with our listeners today. And what this graphic uh, will show is uh, it, it, it's basically what do employees and supervisors value? And there's been a survey that was taken of, uh, of employees and supervisors on the reasons uh, or the, the things that they value in the workplace and the reasons why uh, employees organize. And let me draw your attention right to the middle of this uh, survey here. And right in the middle there, it says good pay. Supervisors typically value good pay and they believe that employees who are seeking to unionize are doing so for good pay. But look right next to that. Good pay is actually only about the fifth most important reason for employees. Uh, who are seeking to organize. If you go up a couple of boxes and you see the number one for the National Survey of Employees, full appreciation of work performed is what's most important to the hourly workforce. And if they don't feel valued at work, they are going to go ahead. uh, And if they don't feel appreciated at work, they're going to go ahead and they may seek uh, a union to build that value. If you go down a little bit further, feeling in on things, If you ask supervisors if feeling in on things is important to employees, they're going to say that's that's the least important of the choices here. But look right next to that. The hourly employees uh, say that that's the number two reason why they organize and what it really amounts to. And if you look a little bit further down toward the bottom sympathetic help with personal problems. That's number three for the hourly workforce, while it's number nine for the managerial workforce. And so what this boils down to is that people tend to organize because they feel like they are not appreciated and that they do not have a voice in the workplace. So uh, I urge all of those employers out there who responded to the survey that they are not at risk for unionization. To really focus on uh, their workforce and whether the work, the hourly workforce feels appreciated at work, feels that they have a voice at the workplace, because if they don't, they're going to oftentimes go out and seek that third party to speak for them, to provide them that voice in the workplace.
1: And and Bert, we have a, a question here from Michelle and she, she missed it. What was the source of that survey?
0: Uh, the source of a survey is a national workplace uh, survey that was done a couple of years ago.
1: Okay. And then okay. Uh, while, I have, while I've while in, I've interrupted here as well, so just as a layman, are there minimum, for those 85% out there that, that don't see a risk, is there a minimum requirement that is, you know, what is required to be able to you know, being that risk factor. So is there a a number of employees, you know, what can you be certain that you would be excluded from the risk of being uh, unionized?
0: Yeah, the only employer that's out there who's really uh, free from risk of unionization is an employer with only one employee. Uh, Unions can't, you really can't have a union of one, uh, but by and large, uh, any employer that has uh, more than one employee. Employees have a right to engage in protected, concerted activity. And so if you have more than one employee, you are at risk for unionization. Now, as a practical matter, unions aren't going to spend a lot of time and money trying to organize small employers, uh, because frankly, there's just not enough return on the investment for the unions. They uh, They want union dues. And in order to collect union dues at a meaningful rate, they need to organize large employers. So the larger you are, the more at risk you are for unionization.
1: You know, I should also mention we did have a comment that um, we have a viewer that's a member of an ESOP, so they have an ESOP set up to where it uh, it disallows the organization of unions.
0: So that's interesting. Uh, it, it, employee, that would an ESOP is employee stock option plan. Uh, and so if they are or, uh, owners of a business, I guess they would be going on the theory that owners of a business cannot organize, but that's actually not true that an ESOP, uh, there, are, there is the ability for the hourly workforce to still organize, uh, very interestingly. So uh, that viewer should really, uh, tend to tend to want to reevaluate uh that that position there all right well we've talked enough about unions i want to shift gears for a second and talk about uh talk about elon musk uh he basically on tuesday uh sent out a an email uh to all of the tesla and spacex workers either to go back to the office or go away Uh, He said it in the email that the employees must be in the office at least 40 hours per week. And he flat out said, if you don't show up, we will assume you have resigned. Now, it really uh, uh, is interesting because he also went on to say the more senior you are, the more visible must be your presence. He said there are, of course, companies that don't require this. But when was the last time they shipped a quote great new product end quote um he uh the subject line of this he sent a similar email uh to tesla executives with a subject line that said remote work is no longer acceptable and uh people who think that working in the workplace is an antiquated concept might want to go look elsewhere now it was really interesting because he also said that, uh, that that what they're asking of the supervisory workforce is really less than they're asking of the factory workforce. Of course, factory workers cannot work remotely by the very nature of the work. Uh, and he said that uh, you, if, as, a, as a non-factory worker, need to be in the office at least 40 hours a week. And he made a comment uh, that if somebody is not willing uh, to come in to uh, the workplace, then he said they should pretend to work somewhere else, he responded, which I thought was kind of a a, a funny and a flip comment. So uh, very interestingly that uh, Tesla is basically mandating employees to return to work. Now, here's the most interesting piece of this entire story to me is that Elon Musk himself said that if employees want to continue working remotely, uh, that he will be the one who will review those exceptions for quote, particularly exceptional contributors to see if they, the that the, uh, if there's an exception to being back in the office. I really do think that's interesting that he says he's going to get involved in that. And the other thing I think was really interesting is is that he did cite an example here. He said, moreover, the office must be a main Tesla office, not a remote branch office unrelated to the job duties and he cited an example there and he said for example being responsible for the fremont factory human relations but having your office in another state that is not acceptable according to elon musk and he did go after uh human relations in his example there so i thought that was interesting uh take on it um it's a lot of companies are moving back to requiring employees to Uh, be in the office. We're aware that Google and some other uh, companies are starting to require a greater presence in the office. And it's really interesting to see Tesla also uh, pushing that, but really taking it many steps further than other employers. Also, I wanted to mention, uh, while we're on the subject of Tesla, Tesla in a lawsuit uh, that it's got going on out here, actually where I am right now out in California, uh, they've got a lawsuit going on with the state's Department of Fair Employment and Housing, which is really the state version of, of the EEOC. And in that case, they're telling the judge that the, uh, the, the agency, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing should be accountable for its misconduct. In February, just a couple months ago, the, DE, the DFEH filed a, uh, a complaint alleging widespread discrimination and harassment against Black factory workers at Tesla's Fremont, California uh, factory. And the complaint described a racially segregated workplace and detailed offensive language used or witnessed by supervisors and managers as well as racist graffiti in the bathrooms, break room, and on machinery, so definitely some inflammatory allegations, and if true, uh, would, would be completely inappropriate and unlawful in the workplace. But again, right now, these are allegations. Tesla has, of course, pushed back at the allegations and has accused. The Department of Fair Employment and Housing of failing to fulfill its statutory man, statutorily mandated pre-suit requirements under California's laws. Uh, and basically, like the EEOC, the DFEH is responsible for providing specific notice before conducting an investigation Completing a neutral and complete investigation, and then make an effort to mediate before filing suit. And what they're, what what Tesla is asserting in this particular particular litigation, is that the DFEH really uh, disposed of those duties and went right to court, really uh, to to uh, uh, to. Uh, poison the media and poison people against Tesla rather than uh, trying to uh, investigate and then conciliate the claim before going public with it by filing the lawsuit. So uh, again, just kind of an interesting story out there. Uh, Shifting gears, and I know we're getting close to the half hour here, but shifting gears real quickly, uh, I mentioned I would talk about uh, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. And I have not admittedly followed this clo- uh, case very closely, but uh, one of the really interesting things about this case, of course, this is a case where Johnny Depp, uh, the actor, sued his actress' uh, former wife uh, for defamation, basically claiming that she defamed him when she accused him of uh, marital misconduct and including physical misconduct. and. Uh, Johnny Depp was successful in his case against Amber Heard uh, just in the last uh, day or so, and the jury awarded him $15 million in damages against Amber Heard. Now, why am I talking about this? Because there are a lot of people, a lot of people in certain media circles that say that this is a basically the, the knife in the coffin of the Me Too movement. This is the end of the Me Too movement. And while I certainly will not go as far as saying that this is the end of the Me Too movement in any way, shape, or form, I do think it's interesting that uh, they were, Johnny Depp's attorneys were able to convince a jury uh, that her claims, her Me Too type claims, and she did uh, assert that these claims were a part of the Me Too movement, that the attorneys were able to convince a jury that this was not true, it was not, that, that this was made up. And you have a lot of people actually who are involved in the Me Too movement, pro-Me Too uh, individuals out there who are basically accusing Amber Heard of, of sort of poisoning the well uh, for personal gain. So she, uh, Amber Heard after the victory, published a statement out there talking about how disappointed she is and how she thinks this is, uh, the verdict is a uh, setback for the idea that violence against women is to be taken seriously. Several people who are part of the Me Too movement have taken the position that Amber Heard needs to really be quiet and that she's actually done harm to the Me Too movement. Would this be like a a
1: victim appropriation type of, uh, is that how it would be termed?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if it would be victim appropriation. That might be a new term we can coin here, uh, that she's trying to appropriate her, her victim status here, and apparently a jury saw through it. So uh, just kind of an interesting take because we have not been hearing as much about the Me Too movement over the last uh, year or so during COVID or the last couple years during COVID. Uh, But it is being portrayed as as a a strike against the Me Too movement. All right. The last thing I'm going to talk about today, and I'm just going to mention it, is we've talked a little bit in recent programs about Marty Walsh, who is the uh, the Uh, Department of Labor's uh, secretary, uh, the head of the Department, U.S. Department of Labor, and that he presented uh, back on May 17th to a House subcommittee hearing, uh, basically seeking additional funding uh, through 20 uh, into 2023. And I mentioned before that uh, Marty Walsh, when asked by members of the House subcommittee, what's the number one Uh, area of concern for him, and he said it was staffing. He needs more people, and he needs more money to pay for the staffing. I don't know if anybody uh, listening to the program has had this occur yet, but I can tell you this year, so far in 2022, the number of OSHA inspections that are taking place across uh, businesses in the United States is up dramatically. Uh, There have been over 26,000 ocean inspections launched to date this year with an average of over 5,200 per month. The numbers have steadily increased as the year has progressed as the first few months of the year only saw an average of 4,800 inspections per month. Uh, States such as California have the most with 2,610. Illinois, where a lot of our listeners are from, have the sixth most. Uh, sorry, seventh most with 1,047. Uh, and interestingly, even Missouri, the states that are showing the biggest increases in monthly inspections just from April to May, in Missouri, there's been a 69% increase in ocean inspections. The industries that are being hit the hardest is construction, where 41% of all inspections have taken place. Manufacturing with 19% of the inspections, healthcare with 7% of the inspections, retail with 5% of the inspections, and waste management with 5% of the inspections. Uh, I mentioned it before on the program, if OSHA shows up at your door demanding to come in and take a look at your premises, Uh, They're not there to investigate any specific complaint. They just show up uh, to do an inspection or if they are there to investigate a very specific complaint. You want to be very careful about how you uh, escort the OSHA inspector through the facility. I would strongly urge you to try to put that inspector in a conference room uh, up in the office space of a facility. Uh, Tell them that you're going to reach out to your legal counsel and get some legal advice before you uh, turn the inspector loose in your facility. So just some words of caution there on OSHA issues. We are up against or a little bit over the half hour here. So I hope everybody has a uh, great day. I hope everybody had a great meaningful Memorial holiday this past Monday. And we will be back on air next week on Thursday at 7.30 a.m. Central Daylight Time. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Goodbye.
1: <laughs> oh, and I also need to say one thing. Just to give credit where credit's due, the article we showed for Elon Musk was from the Washington Post.
0: Thank you, Nick, for covering our bases there.
1: (laughs) You got it. See you next time.
0: See you. Tell your story, promote your products, communicate with your employees and customers vividly dynamically and powerfully whether it's a company video recruitment video online training or live meeting feature group can help you from scripting to highly polished finished production whether it's live or on demand we have the skills and equipment to wow your audience and drive your message home feature group usa the one-stop shop for all your broadcasting needs